Good morning, Menlo Church. So good to see you. Thanks so much for being with us today, being back with us, whether you're joining us at one of our campuses. Uh, you know, think about the folks down in San, or up in San Mateo, down in Saratoga, Mountain View here in Menlo Park, or you're joining us online. I just want to say thank you, thank you. I do want to spotlight a few things that are happening around our church, specifically uh, with our newly relaunched Saratoga campus. Uh, if you've been around for a few months, you know this already, but if you haven't been, I want to just update you. But we relaunched uh, our Saratoga campus as a merger between our San Jose and Saratoga campuses. And we also made some really significant investments into that campus uh, by improving environments with kids and students, as well as uh, kind of our worship space there. It's been amazing. We're sort of treating this as a concept site to experiment with what new ideas for a post-COVID Menlo we would roll out then to other campuses. Just a few weeks into the relaunch, I wanna give you a little bit of an insight into what we're seeing down there so that we can see it and celebrate it together. Just a few highlights, around 90% of the folks from San Jose have come with us to our new Saratoga location, which uh, that's a big deal. Thank you so much. That is a, a huge gift, huge gift to our church. Um, and we have launched the very first weekend with 413 adults and every single kid's classroom was full. Uh, if you're wondering how that compares, that is larger than both of those campuses were combined and then some. In addition to that, last weekend, we started Starting Point, which is an environment we have uh, for new people to get acquainted with Menlo, to find the place that they'll connect. And we had 31 folks show up down at Saratoga. That's pretty amazing. Uh, and then Easter, just a couple weeks ago, we had 555 adults in attendance. And uh, we already have had folks choose to follow Jesus for the very first time at this campus. Would you join me in just congratulating Saratoga? thanking God for what he's doing there. That is a huge, huge deal. If you're a part of Menlo Church and you support what God is doing here financially, thank you. Stories like what God is doing at Saratoga are only possible because of your generosity. And if you're maybe in the beginning processes of getting connected here and you're wondering about whether or not you should really invest, about whether or not you should really get connected. Let me encourage you that we are a church that values the communities that we get to serve. We really are for the Bay. And the strategic investments like the ones that we've made at Saratoga, uh, they only happen because people jump in and invest financially. Maybe in this season where we're a little behind where we expected to be financially in terms of giving, you'll help us make up lost ground. We can give together. See, the more quickly that we can close that gap, financially, the more quickly we can bring these necessary improvements and enhancements to all of our campuses. So thanks for praying. Thanks for considering. Thanks for investing. Um, so many of you that already do, and my encouragement, my pastoral invitation to you is that if you have not yet, today would be a great day to do it. But I just wanted you, you know, we celebrate as one church in multiple locations and Menlo down in Saratoga we're crushing it. Thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you uh, for what you are allowing God to do through you as well. Before we get started, I'm going to pray for us. And if you've never been here before or never heard me speak, I pray kneeling. And the reason that I do that is because this mission is bigger than all of us. Saratoga, San Jose, Merger, San Mateo, Mountain View here in Menlo Park, online. This is way bigger than any of us. This is a mission that predates us and will postdate our time in this ministry. Let's pray that God uses this season and us for his glory together. Would you pray with me?
God, thank you. Thank you that no matter our individual stories, no matter our collective story at the moment, uh, that here, God, we're a part of a community of almost 150 years. We're a part of this movement of thousands of years. And God, we wanna be faithful in this moment, faithful in our season to walk with you and point people to you in a moment where people so desperately need hope. Would you help us to be an expression of that right here, right now for you? It's in Jesus' name, amen. So last week we started a series called For the Bay. And we talked about why we are committed to loving the Bay and beyond. Not because we always agree with everyone or everything that's happening, but because loving others, even the people that aren't like us or don't like us, is how we love God. It's actually the, the physical expression of that inward decision. Now, a few uh, weeks ago, I went out to dinner with some friends and something happened, something that hasn't happened for a while. Um, We were seated right away. Uh, When we walked in for a reservation, we were immediately given uh, water and menus. And you know what happened? Our server was incredible. (laughs) And uh, he was kind and engaging the whole time that we were there. And I think all of us, we've kind of learned that um, we have to take a step back. It's, It's funny because we notice that stuff now. The things that I took for granted just a few years ago in a space of hospitality, they're much harder to find these days, aren't there? There's a lot of reasons for that. The Labor and Statistics Department tell us that there are roughly 2 million open jobs in the space of hospitality. We're 2 million people short in that space based on job openings, which tells us why we experience what we often experience in that space. There's a reason for it, right? We've all learned to extend grace to short staff businesses and and even changed the way that we experience hospitality in restaurants where we've removed more and more human interaction from them. We've injected more automation and technology. It might be more efficient, but when we experience human kindness, even in those spaces, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, it stands out, doesn't it? it? It makes us feel seen and cared for. There's a reason for that. It's because it looks more like the kingdom of heaven that way. Jesus puts it this way. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. See, Jesus was so countercultural, still pretty countercultural today, that he called people to think about the kingdom. He wasn't calling them to serve others or to avoid retaliation because it was what they were supposed to do. It was because it was who he was. And it's who he was forming his earliest followers into. It's who he wants to form you and me into. See, serving isn't what we do, Menlo Church. It's who we are because of whose we are. That the longer we are walking with Jesus and the greater our uh, connection and maturity in him grows, the more service flows from our identity. See, Jesus, he has that vision in store for us. Now, I know it's intimidating to think about serving others or certainly something so big as serving the bay, uh, but you are more prepared than you think. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it starts by realizing that the work is prepared in you. The work is prepared for you. 
Part of what makes you feel like someone is expecting you in any experience of life, whether you walk into someone's home that's hosting you, you walk into a restaurant or a hotel, you walk into a park, part of what makes you feel like someone is expecting you or that they're not prepared for you, you, you get this sense immediately is what you see, what you experience. Maybe that's the person at the airport who has a sign up for who they're waiting for or they're welcoming in or maybe a welcome basket on your first day at a new job. All of a sudden it feels intentional. All of a sudden you feel seen, you feel anticipated. One of the reasons that we don't dive into serving is because it can feel so intimidating for us, but it shouldn't be. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, there are so many things that are true of you. And one of the things that's true of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, the apostle Paul, a church planner and a leader in the first century put this way. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Just before this verse, um, Paul was underscoring that if you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you have decided to follow him with your life, what the Bible calls saved on more than one occasion, it was a gift. And the reason for that is so that none of us can boast. None of us can say we were smart enough. None of us can say we were good enough. None of us can say we figured it out. It was the loving pursuit of a holy God that loved you and me. And because of that, not only are we his workmanship, but this work in front of us is a part of that design. Now, growing up, I had a neighbor just down the street from my childhood home who was amazing at woodworking. He had this really special uh, woodworking shop and he would spend hours upon hours in there working on all kinds of projects. And to see the finished project and the intricate nature with which he worked on every individual thing was so special and so incredible. The attention that we think about when we consider the finishing touches of a skilled craftsman like this, it brings to his or her project is exactly the picture that we should have when we think about how God has made you and how God has made what is in front of you. Paul is actually talking about how God remade you and me, how he restored us to a picture of what it means to live this life informed inspired and indwelled by God. The context of this passage is all about how God intervened, how we were on a path to death and destruction that we deserved, controlled by our own sinful impulses and powers of this evil system that we live in in the midst when God stepped in. The new creation language is what God has in view, not just about the world, but about you and me. And if you're not a Christian, this verse isn't about you, or at least it isn't yet. See, God made all of us in his image with infinite dignity, value, and worth, regardless of what you believe. But those of you who have been drawn into a relationship, you have this new purpose already realized. And some of you, you're feeling this draw by loving God today. And this verse will be true of you the moment you decide to believe. Not only that, but these good works that God has prepared for us we don't do them because we hope God will save us or help us if we do. We do them because he has already saved and helped us. That's really good news. See, good works are our response to grace, not a requirement for it. 
Grace is the undeserved favor of God in your and my life. There is no work we could do to earn it. If you've ever wondered why you are on earth, or if you're a Christian, why you're still on earth, Paul is giving us an answer, at least at the broadest level, that there is work to do. Some of you have been following God for a long time, and you wonder in your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, some of us at Menlo, more than that, why am I still here? And a line that I say all the time, if you still have a pulse, God still has a plan to grow and develop you. If you're not dead, he's not done. And so don't check yourself out. God has a plan for you. That last line might get me in trouble, but... See... There is work for you and me. Hopefully work that is a conduit for us to know God more deeply and for us to make him known through our lives all the time. Obviously this gets especially difficult in our culture and it's not new. Uh, We largely live as though we are only here for ourselves and for maximum pleasure. And I know what you're thinking, Phil. I've, I've heard that that's true, but I don't do that. I would never do that. But let's see if there is maybe something helpful from a pastor named John Tyson as he reflects on it a little bit. He says, instead of being a people who have good news to share, news that could transform the world, we have become a people mired in the 24-hour news cycle, fed a constant diet of hopelessness and despair. Our ability to dismiss the work of God in the church has become toxic. We are plagued by a lack of expectation and have begun to believe that this is all there is. Some of that ranks true, doesn't it? See, this vision that we have to be remade into the likeness of Jesus, first in status and standing and over time in our daily rhythms and choices as we walk closer to him each day, this is a life-giving change. That is a change that is worth changing our lives for, is it not? Now, all of this weight we feel by the news around us, by the entertainment that's constant, by working beyond our limits, by filling our calendars and our stomachs in hopes that we won't notice how empty our souls have become. It doesn't have to be that way. It's not supposed to be that way. One way to serve around here or at a specific campus at Menlo uh, is that for you and I, we, we get a chance not to pay off the debt that we owe to God. He's already done that. But we get to do this as a means of responding in gratitude. And if you're somebody that like, you're just an action-oriented person and you're going, Phil, what do you want me to do with this? I want you to go to Info Central at one of your campuses or right now, just stop listening to me and go to menlo.church volunteer. We've updated that page to include all kinds of different areas where you can dive in and get involved. See, there are people who walked onto a campus today or tuned in online, and they are here because God prepared this moment for them. Some of you, you don't believe that. You think you just stumbled on here, but none of you stumbled on here. Jesus followers at Menlo, if you want to serve that group of people, it's one of the reasons that you're still on planet earth, that God might work through you to draw more people to himself. Not for you and me to just stay on the sidelines. I know that there are things that might have to change for you to change this about you, things in your schedule that might have to change. But let me put it plainly. If you are a true follower of Jesus and you are too busy to serve the church that you call home, you are too busy. But you already know that. 
I'm not saying something new to you. And I'm not saying it to make you feel guilty. I'm saying it to help you feel the responsibility of responding in gratitude to a God that would love you enough to intervene on our behalf, to die in our place, to come back from the grave, not only so that you would experience abundant life now and eternal life waiting, but so that others through you might experience the same. Because remember, this isn't a program. This isn't a pitch. This is so much bigger than that. Serving isn't what we do. It's who we are because of whose we are. And when we realize that, we start to get a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Not only is this work prepared, there's really good news. If you don't feel ready, you are actively being prepared. Even if you didn't think so, even if you haven't been intentionally making those choices yourself. Now, I felt called to be a pastor since I was eight years old. Now, I know uh, that seems young, but now, all of 10 years later, past when I turned eight, <laughs> okay, it's been more than 10 years, it's been 12. Um, at eight, I had a reading disability, a learning disability, severe dyslexia, a debilitating stutter, and I had two lazy eyes that had been surgically corrected. And if you think uh, that I bring all of that up, so that you would know what I have done, it is actually exactly the opposite of that. I say that to show you what God has done. It wasn't about me at all. The work that he has done in me is so that I get to live this life as an example of what his grace can do, not only in my life, but in yours, in anyone's, that no one is excluded from the love of God. Maybe you didn't know this, but the moment you became a follower of Jesus in the past, or if you choose to follow him today, you are given gifts from God. It's what the Bible calls spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts that you're given from God are for you to use and bless the church. That is their primary function. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be better at work because of them. Actually, I think you can be. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be better in your life because of them. I think you can be. But we are misappropriating the spiritual gifts of God if we use them everywhere but the place that he ultimately designed them to be. They are not just a performance upgrade. We are designed to use them together right here. Jesus' loudmouth follower, Peter, who goes on to be one of the most influential and foundational leaders in the early church, he puts it this way. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. See, God didn't give us all the same gifts and the abilities as we have with one another on purpose. We're different on purpose. The metaphor that the Bible uses is as a body. We're created to complement one another. The diversity in a church, within a church community, it provides a rich expression of God's creative power. But only when we serve, only when all of us are contributors, if, we do, if, if all we do is look to be served as Christians, we rob ourselves of the fruit in our own lives of knowing Jesus more fully and extending that love to others. And we rob one another 
of seeing an important part of why God has placed us in this place at this time. The seat that you're in would be warm enough without you. We don't need you to warm it. God wants you and me to experience the fullness of following him. See, these gifts that God gives us, they're exactly that, gifts. We didn't earn them. And we don't get to brag about them. They flow from God's incredible kindness so that we might show his grace to others. And I think God gives us little glimpses of this. I mentioned that I have uh, severe dyslexia and I do, I listen to books for the first time usually and then I'll go back and read them once I kind of have uh, some of it in my head already having listened to it. But one area that God's grace has just shown up as a gift very clearly for me is that reading the Bible in English, Greek and Hebrew has never been difficult for me. It's just this area that God has said, it's not because I'm smarter, it's because God said, I'm just gonna give you this one, Phil. And it's this reminder to me that it is a gift. I don't take credit for it. I don't pat myself on the back for it. I say, God, if you wanna do this to me, what do you wanna do through me? Where is it that God is asking you to do that? It's why a kid who couldn't get a sentence out of his mouth or in his head as a kid speaks and writes for God for living. <laughs> Here I am showing that there is nothing that God can't do in you so that he could work through you. See, we get to be a part of a, a chain of men and women who have used their God-given gifts to display God's immeasurable power for millennia. If you've never been exposed to the idea of spiritual gifts, let me give you a couple handles on how to discern your gifts and what you might do with them. First, our gifts are always revealed in community. I know the tendency is to take a test, read a book, or simply just kind of get away by yourself and try to discern this in self-discovery, but spiritual gifts are designed to function best in community. So if you aren't in community yet, this is yet another reason why being in community is so essential. Second, follow your passion, your capacity, and your outcome. We've all seen the singer on a singing show who has tons of passion, but no one has loved that person enough to tell them they're a terrible singer, right? Some of you, you have passion. You're like, I really wanna do this thing. I'm amazing at it. And you're actually not. I love you enough to tell you that. I don't even know what it is yet, right? Second, you have to think about this idea of capacity, right? There are things for all of us that we are good at, uh, but we don't maybe have any interest or passion around it. For some of us, when we think about our daily life, we spend lots of time doing things that we can do, doing things that we're capable of, but we're not very excited about. And so how do you take the things you're excited about and the things you're good at, and then think about the third category of outcome? What does God do with it? When you sing, when you teach, when you serve, when you engage in hospitality, when you help in some area that God has gifted you, all of a sudden people, they respond disproportionately. God uses it in a supernatural way. Somebody else can say the same thing and God uses it differently. That's an indication of a gift. Passion, capacity, and outcome. You'll find yourself wondering why God would use this small investment this way because he's gifted you. See, God has already been preparing you to do this. Remember, you can go to menlo.church slash volunteer right now. You can go to Info Central at a campus right now to learn more. I went to a college uh, called the Moody Bible Institute 
And it's a very unique school in the heart of downtown Chicago. And one of the things that made it really unique is that if you went to the downtown campus, your tuition was covered by donors from around the world. And the reason for that is so that you could engage in ministry afterwards without debt. That was the whole heart behind it. It was started by an evangelist uh, named D.L. Moody, and he just wanted to show the city and show the world the hope of heaven in Jesus and extend the invitation for people to believe. But on this issue of service, the way we show up as people, he has this amazing quote that I think might help us as we think about whether or not we're ready to get involved. He says, a holy life will produce the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They only shine. I think the church in North America probably needs to blow fewer horns and shine a little brighter by simply serving. See, when we were being prepared for ministry at Moody, we were often reminded most of the time in a healthy way uh, that we had a unique responsibility to prepare for ministry in light of the investment that others were making in us. But that's true for all of us who follow Jesus because serving isn't what we do. It's who we are because of whose we are. The same idea of responding based on the gift that has already been given to me, that's actually true for each and every one of you if you're a follower of Jesus. And finally, we are for the bay, serving the bay because even with Jesus, he was prepared. He was prepared. Jesus functioned on earth as fully God and fully man. I'm gonna give you a couple lunchtime terms you can show yourself as very smart by saying. This is called the hypostatic union. Uh, he's also, though, relinquished his divine attributes as fully God and fully human in something called kenosis. In other words, when Jesus experienced pain, it really hurt. Then in other words, in Jesus' humanity, he actually grew up. Can you think of a lesson that you learned early in your life that stuck with you over time? You didn't realize it was a priority as you learned it, but in time it became more significant. You realized how important it was. In my childhood, this was illustrated in the movie Karate Kid. I wasn't in the movie or anything. I just remember it. Where you have this incredible sensei teaching a young student through wax on, wax off, through tasks that he didn't like, things that felt mundane, until he realized that all of it was a part of a plan to be prepared for something he didn't know was coming. That's what God has done with you. Whether you realize it or not, that's what God did even in the ministry of Jesus. See, Jesus grew up in the home of a carpenter and serving it wasn't something that they did. It was who they were. Jesus grew up in a working class home, being prepared in his humanity for the mission of his divinity. Sometimes this would show up in direct contrast with religious leaders and even his closest followers. In one interaction, two of his followers are asking if they can get preferred seating in his kingdom. Literally, they were trying to adjust the seating chart for lots of different reasons. But part of Jesus' response shows why this attitude is so counter to our formation in him. He says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to earth so that people would serve him. That would have been really easy, by the way. Just don't add the humanity part. Come down glowing from the clouds and demand everyone and everything worship him and smite those who do not. But that's not what Jesus did because that's not Jesus. 
Jesus' mission on earth was to be our ransom so that God could be our ruler in a relationship that is restored. Servant leadership isn't what Jesus did. It's who Jesus is. And that's the identity that you and I are being shaped into. As we serve one another and the guests that engage in ministry at Menlo, we show the best of who the church is supposed to be. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, it's one of our defining characteristics that by this will all people know that, we are, that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you think this is how most people know Christians today? Unfortunately, most people assume someone is a Christian because of what they are most notably and vocally against. That's not what Jesus says we should be known for. And it doesn't mean that we should shy away from difficult conversations or that we abandon unpopular convictions. It simply means that we lead and live with love as our defining characteristic in a moment where the world says everything is love and yet knows nothing of love. Do you have any idea where you might be able to find out more information on how to get involved here at Menlo? Can you think of anything? Oh, uh, menlo.church slash volunteer. Stop at Info Central. You get it. There is a way for you to get involved. There is a way that when someone engages in ministry at your campus, there is a way that when someone is looking for hope, they can see it. And you know how they can? In you. When Alyssa and I got married, uh, we moved to Texas for grad school. And immediately we started attending a new church together in the area and we wanted to get involved. We began serving uh, where churches always need help, by the way. We served in kids. And uh, I hadn't really done that before, but it was something that we could do together. It was a time commitment and it didn't always seem like the kids got everything out of it that you hoped that they would. But all these years later, I can see some of the kids and the students that we had a chance to invest and serve. We can see their lives and we can be so thankful Every time we see it, it happened this morning on social media, like, I got to be involved in that person's life. We were newlyweds without kids, living in a city. There was a lot of brunches to eat. There was a lot of spontaneous fun to have. We could have said no, but there was so much learning and so much growing and saying yes. Look, one of the most fun things was listening to parents express how grateful they were. Not only that they got a few minutes away from their kids, which as a parent of four, praise the Lord, that's a gift. But also that there were other adults, and we barely qualified as adults at the time, but there were other adults who loved Jesus and loved their kids and made investments. And I'm telling you, that is a gift for us today too. Parents who knew that trusted adults were investing in their kids and that the safe environments existed while they spent time worshiping and learning as well. Every gift that we need is in a room at Menlo Church this weekend because you're the gift, because God's placed it in you to be able to serve this community. God put us together and he wants you to use the gifts that he's given you. It might start by serving where you are needed today at your campus, but over time, God will grow your calling. He will grow you to focus on your passion, your capacity, and see the outcome of where he's gifted you to grow in ways and use your gifts in ways you never thought possible. Look, serving the Bay happens outside of our walls all the time through countless partnerships and ministries that happen all around the Bay and beyond. And I don't wanna minimize that. But this weekend, I really wanted to spend just a few minutes 
talking about how God is calling us back, not just as consumers to in-person religious gatherings, but as servants to faith-driven, Jesus-centered community. You are essential contributors, not just passive participants in this place. Can I pray for you? God, at the end of a talk like this, it can feel like an advertisement. I pray that it wouldn't. I pray that all the apprehension and frustration and angst that we have about experiences that didn't measure up, things that were disappointing, things that, God, we kind of look back on and go, oh, man, I pray, God, that that stuff would just wash away. That in a fresh way in this season, we would hear your voice. We would sense deep in our soul a conviction to do more than spectate. Not simply because Menlo Church wants something from me, but because, God, you want something for each and every one of us. Would you wake us up to the gifts you've given us, to the role that we can play in our community if we'll use them, and to the blessing, God, the blessing of knowing you, and the blessing of responding in that knowledge by serving others. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.